everyone loves a comeback story. Amen? It's hard to deny that in all the stories, and all the movies we love, if you boil it down, there seems to be one central theme that pops up again and again. It's the power of a comeback. All the heroes, all the heroines, all the, all the, the teams that we love, just when you think all was lost, just when you thought the game was over, just when you thought they'd reached the end, an overwhelming victory and a great comeback is achieved. Chances are there's one of those in that montage that has maybe stirred your heart over the years. And even though you've seen it a dozen times, it still makes you weep. It still makes you tear up because there's something that grabs your heart. And I'm here to tell you this morning that when you came walking in, every single one of us came in with this God-created desire for a comeback story. We know that life isn't perfect. This has been a hard year for some of you. It's been a hard life for all of us. And that's why every single one of us longs for a comeback story, to share in that victory as well. And I am here to declare to you this morning that we have a comeback that you can participate in, the greatest victory that has been achieved of all time. And his name is Jesus Christ, who is back from the dead to win an overwhelming victory over your sin and your death. Amen? That is why we are here this morning. Let's try it one more time just for good measure. He is risen. He is risen. risen. (laughs) Never gets old. It never gets old. It's the victory. It's the story that we've been singing about, that we've been worshiping about. By the way, praise God for our worship team. Can we give God thanks for them? Absolutely. So good. Amazing stuff. Wow. We have so many talented artists and musicians with God-given gifts here at Hope Des Moines, not just in a musical sense, but our technical team behind the scenes doing a great job for us this morning, as well as the visual arts, painting and drawing, and our amazing creative team that we have here at Hope Des Moines. Jill from our creative team is up here uh, painting. There's Jill over there. I'm giving you permission. If the sermon gets boring, you can watch her paint instead. I'm telling you that right now. So she's one of our many amazing artists that we've just asked to, to whatever God puts on her heart this morning, to paint that in the spirit of Easter. So back to the story. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He writes this to the early church in Corinth, and he says this. Let's read it together nice and loud. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says of first importance. Everybody say first first importance, not second or third or when life slows down or when the kids are a little bit older and then we'll go back to church or when there's a better season of life to take my faith seriously. Not because I'm a pastor and that's my job or because it's Easter. Of first importance. Paul says, I don't know how many days I have left. And if I could echo Paul's heart, my heart for all of you this morning, it would be this, that the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is so simple. There is a God that loves you that loves every single one of you. And the most familiar verse, the most recognizable verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave you this gift, that salvation, eternal life is available to all of us this morning. Salvation isn't something that you earn. You can't earn something that's been given to you. It's a free gift, Ephesians 2 says. And we don't earn eternal life. We don't earn salvation and new life this Easter morning by being good enough or moral enough or religious enough. We do it by putting our faith in the goodness 
and the hope of Jesus Christ to experience a love this morning, on Easter morning, that is stronger than any other force in the universe. And if you would slow down, if you would breathe it in this morning, you too might just experience that same victory and that same comeback story as that first Easter morning. When the women went to the tomb over 2,000 years ago, you might just encounter that same love today if you would open your heart. And so we go back to that first Easter morning where this all started as we worship with millions of believers all over the world this morning celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. We're going to go to John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, I'll trust that you're reading the Bible and not tweeting out about the sermon, but you can do that if you want. We love opening the Bible here at Hope Des Moines. We're one of those crazy churches that we encourage everybody to read along as well. And so we have free Bibles. Actually, a lot of them are missing, which means they've been taken so far this weekend, which is great. So take one, take 17. That's our free gift to you. We want everybody to have God's word in your hands. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 20. We read, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That's why we don't just have a tomb. We have a stone this year with our grave. We got this from uh, Tombs R Us this past week. That's the actual stone there, Jesus' grave. The stone had been removed from the entrance. I want to just pause right there because before I go farther in the Easter story, I want to recognize this fact that there's different groups of us here this morning. For some of you, you have heard this story hundreds, if not thousands of times. You're like, I get it. It's Easter. I'll come to worship. We'll sing some songs. We'll pray the prayers. We'll go home and eat our ham. And it'll be great. And we'll go through that again and again. I pray that God wakes you up today. I pray that you experience the power of the resurrection, even if you've heard it a hundred times that it would be so new for you and life-changing for you. At the same time, there's others of you I know, it seems like on these holidays and Christmas and Easter, there are people here that have never been to church before. Praise God that you are here. For others of you, you can't remember the last time you were in church. It was a long time ago, or it was last Easter, or whatever it was. Let me say to those of you that have never been here or haven't been here for a long time, welcome home. Welcome home. We are honored honored that you would take some time to be with us here this morning. And I want you to know that you are among family. Well, you're among friends. You're among family too. You just don't know it yet. God loves you. And the tomb is open. The women went to the tomb, but we can't start the story there because we have to go back. If you were here for our Good Friday services, you know that when we left Jesus, he wasn't in the tomb. He was hanging on a Roman instrument of torture, of execution, a Roman cross, dead, executed, Done. Game over. The story is over. You want to talk about a comeback story? This is about as low as you can get. You're dead. The game is over. For all intents and purposes, the story's done. There's no hope. The Savior is dead. And after a burial in a garden tomb, the giant boulder is rolled in front and multiple Roman guards stand around. It seems like in this part of the story, there's little hope. But you remember your favorite movie? Remember those stories that you just sit in the theater afterwards after seeing that and just kind of slow down and, and weep a little bit? Because God's tugging at your heart this morning. All of the stories you love borrow their plot from one story, this one. 
the greatest comeback story of all time. It's the, the power of any story is the magnitude of what had to be overcome to achieve the victory. It's Easter in a nutshell. It's why we love those movies, because we know the story. It's why, it's why we love sports. It's why so many of you are sports fans. And I have to say this, I'm a sports nut myself, but this year it seems like more than any, sports have been filled with comeback stories. Most notably, last weekend and the Masters, with Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Just a show of hands, upstairs, downstairs. Any golf fans out there? Please, just two. Oh, wow, seven, great, amazing. <laughs> love you guys. So... I got done preaching last Sunday on Palm Sunday, and the Masters got moved up because of weather in Augusta. If you, if you don't know, the Masters is one of the, the biggest golf tournaments, the biggest golf tournament in the world. All the best golfers are there. And Tiger Woods, the most famous golfer in the entire world, is just about ready to win the Masters. And so I got to get home because we got a late service at 11, and so I get done preaching. I probably went through my greeting, you know, my post-service greeting. Hey, how are you? I got to get home. The Spirit's leading me to get in my car. And I hop in my car. <laughs> And I book it and I go as fast as I can under the speed limit because I'm a pastor and I get home <laughs> to watch the Masters and Tiger Woods is just about to, 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 to put it in. I get there and he puts it in and he wins the Masters. The greatest comeback story they were saying in the history of sports. You have to understand the context of what's going on. In the early 2000s and mid-2000s, Tiger was probably the most recognizable athlete, one of the most recognizable celebrities in the world. He was on the mountaintop. He was at the top. $80 million he's won from playing golf. Some of you are like, I need a new job, right? <laughs> he's at the top of the top of the top until his entire life fell apart, came crashing down to his fault. He's owned it to his fault between personal struggles and divorce and, and scandal and infidelity and, 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 and all the ways that he hurt and betrayed his family in the tabloid news every day. Then there's the physical struggles, multiple surgeries, four back surgeries. His back is literally fused together. And if you're an athlete, especially a golfer with that torque, you kind of need your vertebrae. There was a certain point where he didn't even know if he'd play golf again, let alone walk again. And yet last Sunday, he's standing over a two-foot putt to win the Masters. I'm so excited, I can't just tell you about it. I think we should watch it, don't you think? <laughs> Let's go back to last Sunday afternoon and check out a great comeback story. Many doubted we'd ever see it. But here it is. Okay, so as a golf fan, oh, one commentator said, if you watch something like that, a father hug his son like that, I would check your pulse if you don't get chills going down your spine. The greatest comeback. I mean, look at some of these headlines from the, the, the newspaper. The greatest comeback ever. A return to glory. Rising from the ashes. A win for the ages, right? Jesus says, I beg to differ with all due respect to Tiger. Now, I'm just a little fired up this morning. Tiger won the Masters. It's Easter Sunday. The weather's beautiful. It's almost golf season. You don't mind if I play, play through, do you? I just brought my set. I happen to have them here today. They're always here at the church just in case I need them. There's golf balls on the altar. It's amazing how this all works out. And I just thought, you guys okay if I play through really quick? All right? Awesome. Those of you that sat in the front, you are so glad that you did, right? I've done this before. Don't worry. I only hit three people. It's fine. I'm just going to go right up there to those of you in the loft. I've got my sand wedge out. Don't worry. I'll get right up there. Just need to get a few practice strokes in. Tigers just inspired me. You know, this comeback. Some of you are like, this church keeps getting weirder all the time, right? All right. This is going to be an Easter. 
you may want to duck. I'm just, just saying, this is going to be an Easter to remember, all right? You ready for this? Oh, man, I'm so fired up. Okay, just get this up just a little bit. You ready for this? You guys ready? All right, here we go. You didn't actually think I was going to do it, did you? But now I have your attention. That, my friends, is not the greatest comeback ever. There is a greatest comeback ever, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he has won the greatest comeback in the history of the world. You heard the crowds chanting, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. That pales in comparison to that first Easter morning when the armies of heaven, can you imagine, were worshiping and celebrating and chanting, not as the tiger came roaring back, but as the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, came roaring back to defeat the power of sin, death, and hell. Amen? That is a comeback story for the ages. That is why we're here, and that is what we celebrate this morning. I wasn't there, but I just have a feeling, you know, Jesus is God. He can do whatever he wants. When he came walking out of that grave, I would imagine at some point he gave one of those big old tiger fist pumps in there. Because when you kick death to the curb, you're going to celebrate. Amen? When you put death to death, it's a victory for the ages. So back to the story, the real comeback story. Jesus had been dead in the tomb for three days, and now the comeback. Mary stood over the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was him. She thought he was the gardener. What? Right? Is this undercover boss or something on Easter? Like, what's going on? She thought he was the gardener. She didn't realize it was him. And then he asked her, woman, why are you crying? And then comes the, the sentence, the verse, the words I want to zero in on this morning. The very first thing that Jesus was recorded saying in the Gospel of John is, who are you looking for? The very first thing that Jesus says after rising from the dead is, who are you looking for? Or for our purposes this morning, what I would love to challenge you with, what are you looking for? That might be the most important question you're ever asked in your life, especially when it comes to an empty tomb on Easter. What are you looking for? Because the fact is, the women went to the tomb that first Easter morning not expecting much, expecting death certainly not expecting life. And I think that if we're not careful, we will do the same when it comes to church and religion and Christianity and this whole Jesus thing or whatever you call it. We'll come not expecting much. You say, oh, I'm going to church again. It's Easter. Kind of everybody does that. But I'm not too excited about it. You might say, we come not expecting much. You might be thinking, isn't church, isn't it just a full of a bunch of hypocrites and a place to feel judged and more guilty about your life? Some of you are saying, John, I tried church once. I come back on Christmas and Easter, but that's about it. I tried it once, and it was boring. And let me just say this. If that's been your experience, I don't blame you for not coming back. I wouldn't come back if it was boring either. But give it a second look. Give it a third look. And realize that you don't have to be one of those weird churchy people that keeps coming back. You can just see that there was a man. I mean, I mean strip it all away this morning, folks. All, all your bad experiences with church, all your preconceived ideas of this is what church is like. There was a man named Jesus that predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he did it. That alone should get your attention and say, maybe I need to look into this. Not once a year, but as the central priority of my life. Maybe I need to look into this. And, and that, maybe that would get your attention this morning. 
Don't miss the most important thing that is right in front of you today. That is right in front of you, an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Sometimes we miss the things that are most important. They're right in front of you. And nobody knows that better than Tiger. Back to the wind, did you see? Multi-millionaire, celebrity, has the world at his fingertips. And where does he go after he wins the Masters? Where does he run off to? His kids, his family, a multi-million dollar world-class pro celebrity golfer runs and craves the love of his little boy. You're going to spend your whole life looking for love and you're going to reach the mountaintop of whatever you think is most important in life and you're going to find that it's going to leave you empty. Every single one of us is craving love. The picture over here is Tiger back in 1997, hugging his father Earl, his mentor, his hero, his go- his, the guy that taught him everything about golf. And Earl died shortly after that. And can you imagine... Can you imagine the emotions flooding through Tiger's body as he walks up that hill where he hugged his dad 22 years ago and in his place is his son, Charlie, who he wraps up in his arms and holds him. Don't miss the most important things. Learn it from those that have reached the top. It's empty up there. Love is staring in you in the face if you would open your heart to it this morning. It's not about a church service. It's about the most powerful love in the world if you would receive it this morning. Don't miss the most important things that are right in front of you. There's so many reasons that people could hate Tiger. I mean, the internet just exploded in those days. People kicking you when you're down. There's so many reasons and mistakes and reasons to not like him, but why did millions of people rejoice when Tiger won that tournament? Because deep down inside, you and I know we long for a comeback. We long for Tiger's story to be us. We see ourselves in him, and maybe, just maybe, somebody would cheer for me when I came back. Maybe somebody would cheer for me and give me a second chance in life. Maybe there is a hope after the year that I've had, after the divorce that I've gone through, after the sickness and disease that seems to perpetuate in my family that I can't get rid of. Whatever it is that you're up against today, maybe there's still hope. Maybe I could experience love again. Maybe I could experience that hope again and find that victory. Don't miss the most important thing that's right in front of you today. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but as you look at the tomb, as you look at any tomb this Easter season, remember this. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. He wasn't stuck. He could get out any way that he wanted to. The stone was rolled away on Easter not so that Jesus could get out, so that you could look in, so that you could go in and experience that same love, that life transformational Love And the question is, what's standing in the way for you today? The stone has been rolled away, but if we're honest, not everybody's on board with just a Jesus guy. John, I'll come to church, I'll do Easter, but that's it. Then I got to get back to real life. This is real life. Nothing matters more. But there's obstacles in our way. There's things that are inside of us that get in the way of us going in and experiencing, not celebrating Easter, but experiencing Easter Is it real for you? What are those stones for you? For some of you, if you're honest, it's 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 the it's the obstacle, it's the boulder of doubt. Some of you are saying, John, I'm I'm a natural skeptic. I just question everything. And some of you are thinking, this is all cute and everything, John, the Easter story, but everybody knows it's a hoax. Everybody knows it's just made up. How can a dead guy come back to life? Have you looked into it? 
Have you done the research? I want you to know there's a lot of churches maybe or you've experienced religion in this way. Don't ask any questions. Hope is a safe place to ask questions. We're not, dig into it. We don't need to defend the lion. You just let the lion out of its cage and let it roar. Ask the questions, look into it, and you'll find the overwhelming amount of not just religious, but historical evidence that supports the resurrection. Look into it. Dig into it. That was the case for a young friend of mine a couple years ago. I was speaking at a campus ministry event at Drake University and was talking about the power of the resurrection and that Jesus is alive, and he came back from the dead. And I had an 18-, 19-year-old young man come up to me afterwards and say, John, I no problem believing that Jesus came back from the dead. My question is, Honestly, he's a new Christian. He's, where is he? <laughs> where is he? Like, I want to believe, but I haven't quite put my faith in him because I can't see him. How do I know that he's real? And I'm a pastor, and so I was going to go into this big sermon and you know, give him all this you know, complicated theology. Was, time out. He needs a heart transformation, not more information. He doesn't need a sermon. He needs Jesus way more than he needs me. And I said, here's my challenge to you. I dare you, and I dare every single one of you this morning in the most loving way possible. Go home this week. Find a good Bible that's easy to read and read the Gospel of John. It's one of the four Gospels that tells the story of Jesus' life. Read the Gospel of John and pray this simple prayer. Jesus, would you make yourself real to me? Kids, do it. Have your parents do it with you. Students, junior high, high school students, college students, young adults, Adult, do it. Go home and say, Jesus, would you make yourself real to me? And I believe that he'll honor that prayer for my young friend and for you as well. If you got questions, ask. Take Alpha. Take Core. Come back week after week. Look for yourself. Maybe your comeback story this Easter can be one of faith over doubt. Some of you are like, no, John, that's not it. The, the obstacle for me experiencing Jesus this morning, that giant boulder isn't, isn't doubt. It's, it's, it's more so apathy. I, it's, it's, I'm indifferent. I just don't care. Like, I'll come and worship on Easter, but it doesn't really mean anything. I, I tried church, but it just doesn't, it doesn't equate with real life. I, I'm not interested in it. You know, I've, John, I, I've got a nice family. I've got a good job. I'm too busy. It's 2019. I got, a, I got a lot going on, and that's fine if some people want to come back every week, but that's not me. At some point, that line, that line of thinking doesn't become logical. It breaks down at a certain point. I love how the great Christian author, writer C.S. Lewis, once an atheist himself, but until he looked into it, became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and he wrote this. I love how he puts it. He says, Christianity, if false is of no importance. Just write it off. We could all go home. But if it's true, let's just go with that for a second, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important, and sometimes we live our lives as if it's moderately important, as if it's just okay. And yet I know that can't be the case because I'm staring out at a room full of resurrection. The band saying he's still rolling stones, Amen. And he's rolling stones in your life. The reason that so many, I'm looking out. There's changed lives here. It's been an incredible year of what God has done. Not easy. But there's a lot of resurrection in the air. Tell these people that church is irrelevant. To the men and women that gather behind the scenes in this church building weekly, ashamed of their hurts and their habits and their hangups, but they are experiencing the power of Jesus Christ and healing because they're in recovery from a variety of addictions and things that have happened to them. Tell them the church is irrelevant.
Tell the, tell the hundreds of people that, that gather every single week for our homeless outreach called Breakfast Club, where we gather and, and, and reach people and, and bust people in by the hundreds from, from homeless shelters and under, under, uh, uh, under bridges and street corners and, and bus hubs. They gathered Gusto Pizza down the road, opened up their entire restaurant, gave us the key for our homeless outreach this morning. So hundreds of people that are homeless all over the city experienced Easter at our early service this morning. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Tell them the church is irrelevant because they've never been loved. Tell that to the kids that come for our after-school program called Wiz Kids from war-torn refugee families a mile away, a few blocks away right here in the Sherman Hill neighborhood, and they run here on Thursday nights. In the dead of winter, they run here. Even if their parents haven't seen their parents in a couple days, if they haven't had anything to eat, they run here and they come because they haven't experienced a love like this before. Tell that to the overwhelmed single mom that finally found a sense of community and belonging in her small group here. Tell all of them that the church is irrelevant. Tell that to the thousands of kids that will experience the joy and love of Jesus Christ at Vacation Bible School this summer. As I said, they're inviting their parents back. They're inviting their grandparents because kids and teenagers love church. And it has nothing to do with Lutheran Church of Hope. We're not a great church. We have a great Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Tell all of them that the church is irrelevant. Maybe it's time to get in the game. Maybe it's time to pick up your club and take a few swings, to take your shot, to stop looking at church and religion as something to consume, instead something to participate in. Maybe the reason it hasn't been fulfilling is because you're consuming it. Jesus says it's when you give your life away that you'll find that purpose you've been looking for. Here's what I wonder. I wonder for us, whatever our priorities are, our greatest fear in life should not be a failure. It should be in succeeding at things that don't matter. You're so busy, aren't you? Is any of it going to matter in eternity? This life is so quick, and we believe that when church is at its best, it's when we're loving and serving and making an eternal difference in people's lives. And so my challenge to you today is to get in the game. What if life wasn't about you and it became about others and all of a sudden you start to get your soul satisfied? What if your comeback story this Easter was one of passion and purpose over apathy? And yet, if we're honest, can we be honest? We're in church, let's be honest. For some of you, your boulder isn't doubt. It's not indifference or apathy. It's the reality of death that's staring you in the face. I cannot think of another year in our history of 10 years as a church, as a campus, that I have done more funerals. I don't really like doing funerals. I like proclaiming the gospel. But there's a lot of sorrow in the room today. Because for a lot of you, this is your first Easter without mom. It's your first Easter without dad, without a sibling, without a dear friend. And you're overwhelmed by sorrow. A few weeks ago, I presided over the funeral of my high school or my, my childhood music teacher as a kid at my church. 62 years old, was at the airport going on vacation and died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. That's younger than my parents. What's your plan for eternity? Life is just gone in the blink of an eye. What's your plan for eternity? 
What's your plan for death? Is that the end for you? And then there's no hope. And so I sat with the family and we grieved. And if you're grieving this morning, know that grief is not a problem to be solved. There's a difference between grief and sorrow and despair. We can continue to grieve and continue to have sorrow. But to have despair for the rest of your life is to live without hope. And we have hope this morning. And because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because of her faith in Jesus Christ and not how good or religious she was, because of her faith in Jesus Christ, I was able to look at her husband. I was able to look at her kids. I was able to look at her multiple grandkids as the question swirled, why did God take grandma from us? Why did God take mom so early? I was able to look them in the eyes and say, Jesus didn't take your grandma. Jesus didn't take your mom. Jesus didn't take your wife. Death took her. And Jesus takes death because he is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. There are three things in our lives that we'll never be able to defeat, no matter how strong or confident or apathetic you are to church. Our sin, the result of it, our death, and the power of hell and evil. We'll never be able to defeat it. But because of Easter, it's done. It's finished. Jesus has taken the worst possible thing that could happen to you, and that's where the hope comes from. We live our lives in light of eternity. And that goes whether it's for a loved one that you've lost this past year, whether it's a a guilt over a failure that you've been carrying with you. Some of you feel like you're failures as parents, and that has become the defining identity of your life. I messed up. I screwed up. Some of you have been carrying a shame with you since college because of something that happened to you, some abuse that happened to you. Easter is so real. It is so relevant. It is so practical because Jesus says this on Easter. The worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. Your comeback story can be one of hope overcoming despair. It is finished. The women that went to the tomb that morning didn't, Get it? Because they didn't know the end of the story. We do. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about death. He put death to death. And because of that, we have hope. So we're going to pause and we're going to slow down this Easter and the band's going to come out and do a song before we finish today. I've got a few more things to share, so hang with me. But before we do, I want you to breathe this in. And as you hear this song that's called It Is Finished, I want you to slow down, and if you have to close your eyes, do it. And maybe pray that simple prayer, Jesus, would you make yourself so real to me today? Whatever your boulder is, maybe it's time to let it go. Amen. It is finished. He has overcome the greatest comeback story of all time. The only question that remains is what now? What does that mean for you this morning? How do we experience that victory in Jesus as well? It's simple. You connect your life to Jesus Christ. Don't leave here this morning without knowing this. Christianity is so simple. You become in Christ. That's literally what it means to be a Christian. You are in Christ. It means what happens to Jesus happens to you. When he dies, you die. And so does your past 
and your mistakes and your fear and your guilt and your shame and your failure, they die with Jesus. And when he rises, you rise. So we can say to Jesus, you raise me up. When you rise, I rise. It's the power of the gospel. It's never been about you. Romans 6, 5 says, if we've been united in a death like his, then certainly we will be united in a resurrection like his. That's what it means to be connected to Jesus. It's not about you. It's never been about you being strong enough or tough enough. How do we experience victory? Not on our own strength. You can't roll that boulder of apathy or doubt or indifference or death away on your own. You get connected to Jesus Christ. It's not by your own strength. He lifts you up. Reminds me of a scene in a show that uh, my wife and I have been watching. She kind of roped me into it called This Is Us. Any This Is Us fans out there? Just a few of you. We watched it for the first time, and it was all sappy and emotional. And I looked at her. I said, really, honey, can we watch golf instead? (laughs) That didn't go over so well. And then I started watching it, and there was this one episode in this one scene that just absolutely grabbed me. Jack and Rebecca are this young couple that are going to have triplets, and they're born, and one doesn't make it. And so they're thinking they're going to leave the hospital with two, and still this young boy is just abandoned at the fire station. His, this little baby named, they named Randall, and they leave the hospital, not with the three they thought, but with the three that God gave them. And they raise this little boy, and, and they so bad want to be enough for him. Skip ahead in the episode, and Randall's nine, and they're at a karate lesson for him, and they do this unique ritual. They invite the fathers in to play an instrumental role in their children's lives, in their faith and their development. And as you watch this scene, I want you to think so much about a television show. I want you to think about the power and the strength of a father, of a dad. You don't have to be strong enough or tough enough, parents, grandparents. It's about the strength of your heavenly father. When he rises, you rise. Let's take a look. I won't stop. I won't stop lifting you up. I won't stop loving you. Watching that for the first time, and my wife looks across the couch and says, Honey, are you crying at This Is Us? (laughs) No. Yes. Because as the dad of a strapping young six-year-old boy, my heart beats for moments like that because he he loves to climb on his dad's back. And in those moments, I so, so badly want to be enough for him. Moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, don't you want to be enough for your kids? And deep down inside, you know you're not that there are some things in this life that are bigger than you, that are stronger than you, that you'll never be able to defeat. I want to be able to look at him and say, buddy, I want to give you everything in the world. And daddy wants to be so strong for you, but I can't. And that's why I'm desperate for Easter. I don't know about you. It's not a religious holiday. It's the beat of my heart. I'm desperate for Jesus because I so bad want to be a great husband and a great dad. And there are things in this life that I can't do on my own strength. So praise God that this Easter, we have a strong and a loving father that says, I won't stop. I'll never stop. Even if you run away from me today and forget about all the resurrection, I won't stop loving you. I won't stop lifting you up. And I will always, always be enough for you. I will always be enough for you. I will never stop loving you. Because when I rise, 
you rise. No matter what your circumstances, resurrection power over every circumstance in your life. You have a good and loving father that wants to have a relationship with you. Don't leave here today missing the most important thing. When he rises, you rise, not from a push-up, but to new and everlasting life. And so as we rise with him, would you rise this morning? And we're gonna close in worship. Would you stand with me wherever you are and know this, that Easter doesn't end today. The resurrection keeps going. The church keeps going. The resurrection keeps going. The joy Easter keeps going because he is the resurrection and the life. He is risen. He is risen. Let's worship together.